have uh, Carl Zobris, formerly of the Public Service Commission and attorney, to talk about regulatory considerations and all sorts of things on this week's Renew Gurus. Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm Executive Director of Renew Missouri, James Owen, coming to you live on tape from my undisclosed location in mid-Missouri. Uh, happy to be here. Happy to have all of you. This is going to be a uh, holiday edition of Renew Gurus. So if you are with your family or traveling or trying to avoid your family, we hope it is a gentle holiday season for you. Joining us is someone who um, I'm really thrilled agreed to be on here, um, Carl Zobrist, uh, who is a partner with Denton's out of Kansas City. Uh, he has a lot of background in energy policy and utility rate making, and uh, I'm just thrilled he's here. Hey, Carl, how are you? I'm great. Thanks, James. Uh, uh, glad to be here. Great. Uh, so I want to kind of get back in your background. You are uh, an attorney, um, but for a time, you were on the Public Service Commission here in Missouri, correct? That's correct. What period of time were you there? Well, I was appointed by uh, Governor Mel Carnahan in 1995. And I served uh, into the latter part of 1997. Uh, so I was there uh, about a year and a half to two years. Okay. It's not a full term that you served. No, it wasn't. Back then, Missouri law required all public service commissioners to live in Jefferson City or 50 miles thereof. And I'm not a native Missourian. I moved to Kansas oh. City uh, a number of years ago when my dad was director of the Truman Library. So I've always been kind of a Kansas City metropolitan person. And that's where I met my wife. And I began with the Blackwell Sanders firm. And now I'm with Denton's, as you noted. Yeah. And it was kind of difficult for my family to think about a move to Jefferson City, to be quite frank. And although I found Central Missouri to be a lovely place and I enjoyed my time at Jefferson City, uh, she had a full time job. We had three children and the piano oh. teacher and the church and all that. So I only lasted about two years, but I was pleased oh. to serve as, as chair of the commission. And yeah. we actually began some of the initiatives back in the mid-90s that we're now seeing come to fruition uh, today. So it's it was yeah. an interesting time. Can, can I stop for a second? Because you said something that interested me. Your dad ran the Truman Library? Well, yeah, the, the Truman Library is part of the National Archive System, uh, yeah. as all the presidential libraries are. And he was a professor of history at our home college up in Illinois, Augustana College, and he decided he wanted to do something different. So he was the director of the Truman Library and Museum in Independence. And it was a, a wonderful wow. opportunity to actually get to know not just the city of Independence, but Kansas City and, and Missouri, uh, which uh, really I had not known a whole lot about, even living up in Northern Illinois. Wow, uh, and my math is a little, without numbers here but he might have he must have been like pretty early on into the truman library when he was working there yeah well he was he was the second director the the wow. library was built in 1957 and uh, my dad became director in 1969 so he knew president truman um wow. and and uh you know was there when he uh died in uh 1972 right which is i mean that's amazing that's really that's really cool um that must have, he must have he must have some pretty good stories your dad about that stuff. Yeah, great stories. Yeah, I bet. Well, <laughs> see now I just want to ask you a bunch of questions about Harry Truman, but that's not what we're here about. So you were you were on the commission for a couple of years. You were chair, and so this was I mean we're we're talking about 
not 30 years ago, but relatively close. I mean, can I mean, you still practice with the Public Service Commission in front of them. Um, I mean, kind of what was what were I mean, you, you were dealing a lot with telecommunications back then still, weren't you? Right. Yeah. The, the, the major issue before the commission at the time was the 1996 Federal Telecommunications Act, which deregulated telecom. And as uh, is, is everyone knows, I mean, now you can, you can do whatever you want in terms of negotiating rates with you know Verizon, AT&T, right. or a smaller company. And we were also beginning at that time because Congress was interested in what was called retail wheeling, which you know, mm. wheeling is an electric utility term about you know buying and selling electricity. And now we call it retail choice. And a number of states uh, were experimenting with retail choice. And I thought Missouri at least ought to take a look at it. And so yeah. um, I persuaded my colleagues to open a, a case that was, a, we would call it a workshop today, to right. inquire into that. And I was hopeful that we might do some experimentation, not with residential users, but maybe with industrial or larger loads that you know could better manage these issues and the risks to see what was going on. And you know that never came to fruition. But on the other hand, as you know, we've seen a lot of advances uh, in Missouri public utility regulation. And you know, and by and large, I think we've done the right thing in being cautious. Missouri is the show me state, and I think. Um, is is you might remember there were a couple of states that tipped their toe in the water like Oklahoma and Arkansas and they said yikes you know we're too small to manage this and they backed out. Well, there was a lot. There was a big deregulation push in the late '90s. Um, I mean, and you still see states that are deregulated: Illinois to our right. direct east, California, Texas. I mean, there you can look at a map. I'll, I'll actually might uh, link a map uh, to this email that we send out. But um, for for the for the people who are kind of remember it i mean there was um there was some controversy with that when when enron <laughs> when enron was kind of i mean for lack of a bet, lack of more nuance was kind of gaming that system and caused a lot of problems um which then and i that's think particularly true in california particularly there right yeah like there was there was audio of people saying like oh we're going to shut off grandma's power now and laughing about it and it was Pretty ugly stuff, um, and I think, but I, I feel like that kind of slowed the um, the push for deregulation. That was back in two thousand one, I think, was when all that kind of went down. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And California just had—I mean, they had software issues and other implementation issues when they began to implement it in the late nineties. And uh, systems are much more sophisticated today. Wholesale markets uh, work much more uh, efficiently and beneficially to consumers today. Than they did 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I think you would not have a governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger, had that not been the case because Gray Davis, who was the governor, then took a lot of heat for all of that. Um, so, uh, yeah, what, what a stroll down memory lane for politics. Uh, but so you, but you, but you, but I guess when you proposed that originally, was that, I mean, was that controversial? Was there a lot of pushback to that or was there kind of more of an, in, was there more of an openness to it? Well, I, I think uh, there was a little bit of pushback, but I was, you know, new enough to the process because I, I I was not an expert in public utility regulation at the time. I, at that point, was a, a civil lawyer and I had represented some utilities on non-rate issues, on contract issues and things. So I knew enough to go slowly. And in the administration, Governor Carnahan and his staff said, you know, let's let's talk about this. Let's begin to talk. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we began with... Uh, you know, a series of meetings with stakeholders, not just from the utilities, but from 
uh, the industrial users, the public council was, of course, involved, and right. some of the environmental groups. And it, it began a good discussion. And it actually led, you know, to Missouri ultimately later, you know, I guess five or six years later, passing the renewable energy standard and, and making, you know, baby steps toward, um, right. you know, a more carbon sensitive and a more uh, efficient system and, and looking at tools at the same time to advance some of these initiatives uh, that would either lead to decarbonization or competition um, at the same time, providing safeguards and incremental benefits. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, we have people come in and, you know, and I think sometimes there's a lack. I hear a lot in the legislature people talking about, we don't want to be like California. And I, I want to say, well, we're not like California because we don't have the same market they have. But then, you know, it's it's hard to be nuanced about this sort of thing, even even though that is a big distinction. Uh, it's easy to beat up on California, but and it's easy to beat up on Illinois and, and Jefferson City. But we're talking about apples and oranges. And, you know, and I as a renewable energy advocate myself, you can look at like how some of those states have made advances in renewable energy. But I don't necessarily think it's because they have a restructured market. I think it's just because they have liberal politicians who are running those states. Um, and so I don't necessarily know because I know there's always a push there's a push every once in a while you have groups come in and, and try to say we should look at uh, restructuring the market here. But I mean, I don't think there's anything from my perspective that says, oh, that would be better for renewables or not. I mean, would you say that's safe to would you would you say that's safe to agree with? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do not think that the changes in the markets uh, were designed to either, you know, advance or retard uh, renewable energy. I mean, right. and it's not just blue states that are totally deregulated. I mean, Texas is is a pretty red state, and it was right. one of the original. Uh, and of course, Texas has had some issues with its markets, as we know, when we've had some, you know, winter storm Uri and some and yeah. winter storm Elliot. Um, so I, I really think it's more of you know how do we promote efficiency? Whether we rely on carbon uh, resources, whether it's renewable resources, or a mix in between, and you know, as we know. We have to go. We have to go fast enough to get it done, but we also have to go slowly enough to make sure that we don't crash the grid because there are different attributes right. of renewable resources versus the thermal resources versus coal and natural gas and nuclear as well. Right. Yeah. I always say that the the challenge of Texas is not because I mean, we've had some guests on here. We've talked about Texas Texas pretty extensively because there's a lot of effort to for people to blame renewables what's happened down there but i say the biggest problem down there is they are also largely an isolated market they Correct. don't they ERCOT does not really extend its borders i mean i think that's one of the really good things about what we have well one of the i mean what we have in missouri where you have like this these regional transmission organizations i mean the biggest challenge we got in missouri is we got two of them <laughs> So sometimes it's hard to coordinate those, but you and I were talking off mic about, you know, possibly ways of, of solving those particular problems. Um, but I think that does help make, I think those lead to stability that you don't see in Texas. And I think that also right. leads to also more deployment for renewable energy, quite frankly, um, when you look at the fact that Missouri's utilities like Evergy and Liberty can rely on wind farms out in western kansas and in oklahoma to uh to uh to 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 come in come into play from time right. to time 
Right. Well, and, and I would just say two points. I mean, look at the huge amount of wind uh, resources in Iowa uh, that Mid-American mm-hmm. Energy yeah. is, you know, and Iowa's got really good wind, better than Missouri. Uh, yeah. Not as good, obviously, as Western Kansas, but still pretty good. Des Moines right. is actually more of the windy city than Chicago is. And 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 Iowa is you know uh, you know is is not a progressive state as that term is used now it's a, it's a relatively conservative state um, but they had you know an excess amount of transmission were able to build uh, the wind energy and they're they're managing it very well they are a member of the mid continent ISO regional okay. transmission organization as you pointed out Missouri's half you know mid continent ISO and it's part Southwest Power Pool but the good news is there is that um, uh, as we call it, MISO and SPP have agreed to a certain number of joint targeted interconnected projects that have just gotten some funding from the Department of Energy. And so I think we're going to see, you know, better uh, interconnections between those uh, two RTOs that, again, should ultimately reduce costs to consumers and and allow for the trans uh, the transfer of energy when we have a winter storm URI or a winter storm Elliott uh, you know, create some emergency conditions. Yeah, I, I hope so. And I mean, as I was also saying off mic, Renew Missouri is starting to do more work to try to like make a more robust transmission uh, environment because, you know, I, I it is my belief we have a lot of untapped renewable energy out there that is untapped because we do not have the sufficient transmission. Not exactly politically popular. <laughs> uh, in fact, I was I was just reading uh, that Senator Josh Hawley has introduced a bill that kind of has a little bit of an eminent domain flair to it. I'll have to share that on this as well. Um, it, it's it's odd because it's asking it's it's kind of asking for like a, a payment to 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 landowners that is very similar to what the state law already is. But that's a whole different. I'm I'm going right. on a tangent anyway. Transmission is important, and I think it's really great that the utilities and groups like ours are kind of working in that same direction, uh, because it is, to me, like, to me, it's like the really critical issue we're facing right now. Well, and, and you know, James, we talked about that back when I was on the commission in the late 90s. I mean, transmission is the bottleneck between all the resources uh, that we have and, and all the people you know, we call them the load, you know, who are demanding to be served by electricity and it's transmission that is that bottleneck. And it's so important to have that not only well-regulated, but sufficiently robust so that, you know, the power can get through to the people that need it. That's right. Yeah. Because I mean, like where you see generation of power happening the most, and that's not just wind and solar, but that's also gas. It's also coal. It's happening away from population centers. And so if you want power, if you want it to be coming to you transmission is a reality uh which i know is also a challenge because there are a lot of property right organizations and the people that are in those products they they have legitimate concerns and i don't mean to ignore those legitimate concerns i'm a farm kid myself we have a big transmission line that got built over my property which my parents weren't exactly thrilled with but hey look it's the reality yeah it's the reality it's the reality of our world we live in um, so yeah, so you were, you were on the commission, um, you, um, but you said that was your first kind of foray into energy policy and utility rate making. You had not done that prior. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. That's quite an entry. <laughs> well, I mean, t- to be honest, I mean, um, Missouri has a history of suspicion of the electric utilities and people that already know 
the system. And so uh, most governors and the Missouri Senate, which is required to confirm the governor's uh, nomination, uh, they scrutinize your background pretty carefully. And if you've had a relationship with either a you know, a telephone company or a gas company or electricity company, you know, they want to know what you did for them. And I was asked about that. I had worked for the old Kansas City Power and Light just as a civil lawyer. Right. And so I was able to say, you know, I really don't know much about, you know, public utility regulation, except that my client was regulated. And there have been uh, nominees who were, you know, actual professionals in the area right. and they didn't get confirmed. So, you know, most governors look for, um, you know, individuals that have either, you know, an economics background, perhaps an engineering background, a public service background, yeah. uh, a background in economics, um, members uh, uh, now with term limits, term limited members of the Senate and the House have been uh, frequent appointees, and they're familiar with these issues, but as, you know, members of the General Assembly, rather than right. working for somebody or working against somebody. Right. Yeah, because it's interesting to me when you go slightly to your west in Kansas, the Kansas Corporation Commission. There's only three members over there, but you know, and I'm, I feel like they're all they have pretty significant backgrounds with energy policy. Yeah, you are right. When when I was yeah. on the when I was chair of the Missouri Commission, one of my good friends was the the chair of the uh, Kansas Corporation Commission, and he had a background in oil and gas. Yeah. And the Kansas Commission regulates, you know, portions of the oil and gas industry. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, but, the, you know, the tradition in Kansas uh, just is different than it is in Missouri. So, yeah, uh, I mean, and it's it's very different. I mean, it, it's it's different. It's not very different. I mean, I, I was thinking like uh, when I was public counsel, I, I knew the uh, I knew the curb director over there, which was like the um, equivalent but like he couldn't settle a case unless his board met <laughs> yeah. to approve it. And they lived all over the state. And I thought, Oh my gosh, what a pain in the neck that would be. <laughs> but that, I mean, there's just, I mean, just every state's got its own little nuances. Right. Um, so now you, you, you served in that role. You have been doing this work uh, ever since kind of as a lawyer. Uh, right. Off and on. And I do, you know, a few other things, but yeah, I've, I've been working mainly uh, with um, uh, companies related to the electricity area. I've represented, you know, non-utilities uh, with other industries such as, you know, the water and sewer industry. Uh, but it's, it's, it's been a fascinating journey. I mean, I think like one thing I've only been, I've only been doing this for about eight years. I love doing this because I, I can learn something new every day. And I don't, I mean, I don't know if you can say that about every profession, but I feel like it's always evolving. It's always changing. There's always things to consider. It's always perspectives to consider. And that's, I, I think it's just, it's been really rewarding for me. And there's not many of us doing this work professionally, you know, where I think the, the woes of us who get to are pretty lucky. No, I, I would agree. I mean, and, and the, um, the energy industry, particularly right now, I mean, we're seeing advances in technology that we haven't seen you know, in uh, decades. I mean, this is, right. this is like the second industrial uh, you know, revolution. And we're seeing, you know, advances uh, very slowly, but in battery storage, you know, in electric uh, vehicles and electrification generally, um, small modular nuclear reactors are being perfected. It's probably going to take another at least five, if not 10 years, yeah. to get to the point, you know, right. where they're not just a simple small pilot project, but there are a number of, uh, uh, in hydrogen, of course, the whole idea of, of processing hydrogen through electrolysis to 
you know, ramp up the batteries. There's so many exciting things going on. Um, so, there, and there are a lot of people, there's not just Thomas Edison. There's a bunch of Thomas Edison's out there right now. Yeah. I gotta tell you, I just, a couple of weeks ago, I was driving to Lawrence, Kansas. I've got a little bit of a history in, in Lawrence. Uh, I saw in DeSoto where they're building that big battery plant. Right. The Panasonic plant. Yeah. That's that huge. It's a beast. Yeah. I, I mean, my, my thought was this thing is going to just be a magnet for jobs and a magnet for like other industries. And it's going to be such a wonderful, I mean, it's, it's going to have its own challenges, but I think it's also going to be a wonderful economic development for, uh, for this region. Um, I, yeah. I, I just couldn't believe it when I saw it, it was just, it was, it was amazing. And so I think, you know, talking about battery storage, you're talking about SMRs. I mean, yeah, I think there's a, I mean, there's this whole opportunity, I think, where you can really, we're going to be looking at utility policy and utility regulation in a very different way, very shortly. Um, but again, it takes a while. It's like a ship. You can't just turn it on a dime, <laughs> right? Uh, which, which is, which is kind of, which has kind of led me to why I wanted to have you on here. We finally are getting to my, my point, you know, uh, back in the summer, you and I were invited to speak in independence, um, by our friends at Indy, Indy Energy, uh, which, by the way, in, in my opinion, are wonderful, is a wonderful watchdog organization for independence, power, and light. There, and independence, I we work with them. I, I I think they've got great supporters. They they do a lot of interesting work, including putting on this forum. Uh, because there is a question in the city of Independence now, a town that you apparently know a lot more about than I realized. Uh, <laughs> about whether or not, because right now Independence is served by a municipal utility. Independence, power, and light. And there is a question now whether that is going to continue. And the city council and the city is is, is looking at, I believe they are in the process of getting uh, consultants put together to examine not only uh, changing, but also maintaining the status quo. They want to be able to evaluate that. And you and I talked, uh, we answered a lot of questions. Um, we had a really, I thought, pretty pretty great conversation and ever since we had that, I've been sitting there thinking, like, I should really have him on here to talk about this because this is going to be really important uh, for that particular. Um, is that, that's still, I think, the fourth largest city in the state. And I guess, you know, uh, now that you're here, I want to talk to you a little bit about like now that the city is contemplating this, you know, and this is going to be a multi-year process, potentially, if they if they proceed with it. Um what do you think they're going to be looking for? Like if they're, if they're looking to maybe put this on the ballot to, as a possible sale to, to, a, to, a, to maybe an, an investor owned utility, what is it the city of independence would be looking for? Do you think? Well, and if you remember, I, I was asked sort of that question when we had uh, the forum um, out in independence. Yeah. I, I said, you know, from my view, um, you know, you ought to apply the standards or the tests that we use at the Public Service Commission. And that's, you know, uh, the, the commission's job to make certain as best it can that the electric utilities provide safe and adequate service at just and reasonable rates. Yeah. And, and those were some of the things that we talked about, you know, when we got to the, the, the questions and answers there. And, and if the utility is providing safe and adequate service, um, then the question is cost. And the, the question of safe and adequate is, you know, well, what are your sources that are providing the electricity? And then that gets to what are they? Are they coal? Are they gas? Are they renewables? Do you have contracts with um, um, non-utilities to provide either solar or uh, wind power or things like that? 
Right. And, and is it safe and is it adequate? And safety also goes from, you know, the, the resources and the transmission lines to the distribution system. And, uh, you know, how robust, how rigorous, how stable is, you know, are the wires that come down to the, the shops and homes and uh, industries there in the city of independence. Yeah. And, and, if, and if that's if that's all fine and it, and it needs to be analyzed, I understand the city of independence has retained and. Uh, economic uh, uh, and then engineering firm to provide some advice. Then you move to the cost. You know, right. uh, are are the rates going to be reasonable? And and I I have presumed I've not studied it, but I have presumed that there were questions about the resources that the city of Independence had. What should right. be their new resources, and what is it going to cost them? And you know, I think the rates of the city of Independence are a little bit higher than some of the uh, investor-owned utilities, but that does fluctuate from time to time, again, depending upon the resources. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, and those are, I mean, I think those are all really good considerations. I, I was talking to somebody at public council and I'm not going to say who, but you know, one of the things that you've got to factor in, or at least, you know, for me, when you're talking about a municipal utility, um, I mean, you're not generally generating your own power, gen usually, uh, transmission is a factor, but it's not as significant as it would be like, let's say, an Evergy service territory or Ameren service territory. I mean, you're doing a lot of distribution. I mean, you know, uh, Independence, I believe, is a member of Mapua, the Public Utility Alliance. Uh, they are part of that pool where they can get power there. But they've also talked about building generation in the recent past, haven't they? They wanted to build a gas plant. Yeah, I, I believe they have. And you know, that's and that's very dependent on economics. I mean, uh, as you yeah. know, today, the, the price of natural gas is pretty low, so it's great. Well, two years ago, it was not. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and those are the right. things that, that you have to to manage. <laughs> and, you know, and to your point, I mean, a lot of smaller, uh, particularly small municipalities, as well as small co-ops, you know, have relations with bigger co-ops or, or yeah. power pools, public power pools. And, and also the people that manage the energy, their participation in the regional and the national energy markets. Right. And so that, 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 that's a clear option because those, those folks, you know, who manage the, the wholesale markets and, and what they buy and what they pay are experts at all sorts of very complicated things, including hedging and, and yep. you know, management of risk, which needs to be taken uh, into consideration. Which is hard for like a a city utility staff member just to develop that skill. Right. Right. And, and, and what, you know, and kind of where I, you know, was going with the generation issue was, I mean, look, that's, ex I mean, to generate your own power is enormously expensive. That is an extremely expensive endeavor. And it seems to me that if you're going to take on endeavors like that, or you're going to take on the, what in my opinion is, is kind of an expensive ticket to join SVP or MISO, because you spend millions of dollars to do that every year if you're a utility, um, you need to have a lot of really big customers. And I look at the city of Independence and I just don't, I mean, what are their anchor customers there? I mean, they, do they have big industrial commercial customers there? Because when I look at a city like Springfield, which is a, a town I'm pretty familiar with, they got two hospital systems, they got a university they got industrial uh, customers. They got a Fortune 500 company base there. But does Independence have anything like that? I mean, it seems like that's hard on the economies of scale. Well, I, you know, and I, I don't know specifically, but I know as a city of, you know, whatever it is, 120, 150,000 people. I mean, uh, 
they they certainly have you know retail and they've got hospitals in Independence and uh, uh, they don't have a major university there. The the Lake City Ammunition Plant though in the eastern part of the oh. city that that may be a large industrial load that needs to be yeah. managed. Now I don't know anything about you know whether they've been able to opt out and and buy direct or be managed through you know, someone else. But uh, but right. at any rate, that is a consideration. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, uh, you know, and also like I'd be I, I also feel and this is my opinion, um, you know, like investor in utilities. I mean, yeah, they they get a rate of return. Uh, they do are allowed a profit. They are they're They have a shareholder component there. But at the same time, they also get a lot more scrutiny. Uh, I think they get more scrutiny than municipal utilities do. Well, and and that's. And we discussed that when we were at that citizen forum in Independence. I mean, there, there's no doubt that uh, the investor-owned utilities in Missouri um, are uh, rigorously overseen by the staff of the Missouri Public Service Commission. We have the Office of the Public Council. Yeah. We have groups like Renew Missouri, the Sierra Club. We've got you know a group of uh, at least several groups, uh, depending upon the, the case, uh, of industrial right. and commercial customers that come in with their own lawyers and economists. So there, there is a greater degree of, of, of scrutiny there. There's no doubt about that. Um, on the other hand, the, the benefit to the municipal model is that uh, you have direct, as a citizen of independence, you have direct you know, contact um, or can certainly pretty easily with you know, the members of the city council, the mayor and the professional staff there. And yeah. the meeting laws, of course, re require them to do you know, a fair amount of business in open session. And whereas in Jefferson City, you know, that's mainly run by the professionals that uh, and and the groups uh, that that intervene in those cases. Right. Um, and and if the city uh, makes a choice with regard to a utility or a, an acquisition or whatever it might be or some other issue, the voters go to the polls and they make a change of the government. Uh, that's very difficult to do. You really don't have that option under the investor owned model. But uh, because you lack that, you have these professional staffs that really scrutinize, you know, the books and the proposals of the uh, companies. Yeah. And, and I'll admit, I'm kind of a big government lefty sort of guy. I mean, it's kind of my thought. And I disagree with the Public Service Commission staff a lot, uh, <laughs> particularly on some of their positions they've had on renewable energy projects lately. Uh, but at the same time, you know, like. The legislature has delegated to the Public Service Commission this role because the legislature is dealing with a huge budget. They are dealing with education issues. They're dealing with social issues. They are dealing with, you know, generally having to run the state. And so to develop a kind of knowledge that's required to understand utilities, which are really complicated. And I'm not trying to be like condescending here and say like, oh, well, the people can't understand utility stuff. Well, it is hard. And I feel like that's the same challenge that a city council member or a mayor would have. You're trying to fix the potholes. You're trying to make sure the budget balances. And then you're supposed to like know about like, like where you're supposed to be getting your power. Like, you know, what's better? Like is gas better than, than wind? I mean, it's, it's tough. It's, it's hard to like develop a specific knowledge when you're in that role, isn't it? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's true. I know that the larger municipalities uh, that have, um, you know, their own utilities like city of Nashville, I mean, San Antonio, Austin, um, and, and, and even in, in Missouri, uh, uh, Springfield and, and Columbia, I mean, yeah. they typically have a member of the city council 
who you know may have an engineering or an economics or a legal background that, that tend to be, you know, I wouldn't say specialists, but at least I mean they are knowledgeable about these issues. And there are an array of people that that can be hired to provide you with advice. Yeah. Um, so it's not totally out of reach, but again, you have to have that interest and and that desire. Um, and and I I think we've seen that particularly in Springfield and in in Columbia a little bit in Kirkwood, Missouri as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean Springfield's a little unique because it's mayor <laughs> is a former PSC commissioner. <laughs> he he was a colleague of mine. Yeah, yeah, Ken McClure, uh, right. who is a Springfield guy, was Matt Blunt's chief of staff, was on the commission now. Worked at Missouri State and now is mayor of that city. And 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 Ken actually worked for city utilities in Springfield as well. So he's eminently sure. qualified. And, yeah. and so it's rare to have somebody like him. But that's but very I, rare. Yeah. But I've seen, you know, even in the legislature with the, the term limits. I mean, there there tend to be people on the, you know, energy or public utility committee, whatever it's called, who, you know, know the commissioners, know the issues. But again, it takes somebody uh with an interest for, you know, if if and ditto yeah. for healthcare and taxation and a lot of other issues. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you can tell when you go to those committees, there are people who really dig into this stuff. And there are also people who are like, well, it's um, on this committee, but there's another subject that I probably have more of an interest in. Right. Um, you know, it, and, and it, it is. And I mean, and I, I will and I'm pretty critical of term limits. I think it is hard to develop a lot of knowledge in eight years. I think it's hard to develop a lot of knowledge in 16 years, <laughs> which is the most that anybody can actually do in that building. Um, I think you can get pretty close. I think you'd be pretty good. I think if you're pretty smart, you can pick up on some stuff pretty quickly. But man, we lose a lot. I mean, we lose some really good people in that process. Yeah, I mean, we lose yeah. some bad people too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Uh, but we also, I mean, you, you it is like, you know, I, I feel like once someone starts kind of getting the gist of it, then they're gone. And I mean, I'm a lobby. I lobby. I got to start all over again. Right. Right. <laughs> well, but, but I would say, you know, in the municipal model, I mean, the, the neighborhood associations know what happens after a windstorm or a tornado or an ice storm. And That's if your true. utility is not coming out and repairing things promptly and, and people, you know, people are tolerant up to, you know, maybe a day or two. But when these outages last for, you know, five to seven days, as they've had in other jurisdictions, I mean, the people are angry and they make a change in their government. And the new people who come in, they've gotten the message. So uh, it can be more uh, direct, you know, the change in, in power in a city than you'd ever get on a the public service commission or in the legislature because you're dealing with, you know, five uh, members of, the, of the, the Public Service Commission, but, you know, dozens and dozens of state legislators and senators. So, yeah. well, it's I mean, that's that's a good point. Um, I mean, there's I mean, I think that both models have things that are good about them. I think there's a model. That's, there's bad thing. I mean, like right. I've I've always it is my belief, especially the more I've done policy is you can make a policy change. You can do something different. But there are going to be consequences to that, whether they're good or bad or even unknown. The unknown unknowns, I believe, is what Donald Rumsfeld once called them. And you have to just accept that. And you say, like, well, is the change worth it for the things that could be better or the things that could be worse or the things that we don't know are going to happen? Uh, so that's like the calculus I always feel people need to do in their head. Now, I think, you know, as far as like they're, you know, they're in this process now. You know, depending on whether they're going to put this on the ballot or not. I mean, I think they said at that uh, 
at that meeting we were at, it might be 2025 before that gets seen by voters, maybe at the soonest. Well, I, I did hear that that whatever decision they would make, it would be put to a public vote. And I think that makes sense. Oh, I see. OK, so it is. OK, yeah. Well, I mean, because I think you, in, City of Independence has had a lot of I mean, I, in my opinion, it seems like they've had a lot of unique challenges compared to other municipal utilities. Um, I think it would be a good thing for voters to really look at it. Um, it's going to be one of those things where it'll be interesting to see where the money comes from <laughs> uh, to inform voters on that sort of thing. Um, I have I myself, I, I've seen like we're smaller systems like I've seen like a lot of um, city votes on like selling their water system to like Liberty or Missouri American. I don't think I've. I mean, I've, I, like I said, I've not been doing this very long. I have not seen an electric utility do this kind of vote. Maybe you have. Um, I have I have not in Missouri. I, I, I know okay. that, for example, the city of Boulder has been, uh, you know, talking about municipalization, the reverse, where the city of Boulder would take over the um, assets of Excel, the former public service company oh. of Colorado. And that's that's been in controversy for seems like the last 20 years oh really i yeah. need to look up i need to look that up i wasn't aware of that yeah yeah i mean i think the closest i've ever seen and this just happened uh there was a vote in maine to like like i guess basically for the for the state to take over they're just i mean they have like uh, in investor and utilities there they're really just distribution but it was a it was a big fight and that vote uh, that no carried that yeah uh, to do that but I mean that that to me and I I watched that pretty closely because I I just found it interesting to to see how that worked and it uh and it was interesting to see like who was involved with that but that was um that's the closest I think I've ever watched to something like this yeah, yeah that that was unusual I mean I I don't yeah. think I have recalled a state referendum a state referendum that would have totally divested. And I think there were two investor-owned utilities involved in the state of Maine. Uh, but that, that was pretty unique. Yeah. And I mean, no, no real generation assets, no real transmission assets, but I was still thinking like, man, the just compensation for that public takeover is going to be expensive. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, so I just, I thought that was, that was interesting. And I think that this is going to be interesting too. Um I mean, so I think, you know, we'll just have to see how it plays out and to be continued. Maybe we'll have to have you come on when 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 this is all said and done and, and talk about it then. Um, so is there anything? So, I mean, one, this has been a really great conversation. I'm really glad we had you on. Is there anything cooking you can talk about that people should be paying attention to or is it all kind of? Well, I, I I think we talked about this a little bit at the beginning. I mean, the the essential role of transmission in in whatever happens uh, is going to be critical because you know depending on whether you go fast or you go slow into the transition to you know decarbonization, um, yeah. it's going to be really essential. And the land use issues that you mentioned are are going to be critical as well because yeah. um, you know so much of this depends on on what the public really wants. And and if you want a lot of renewable energy, you're going to have to have some transition uh, transmission. But on the other hand, that may require rights of way through very sensitive areas and yeah. respecting the 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 landowners the heritage of those those lands yep and, and uh so it's 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 going to be a i think people will be paying attention more to transmission than they are just to what is their local utility charging them um right. but but it, it's going to be 
this will be an issue that will be, you know, very political, but also very personal. And uh, it, it'll be interesting. I, I'm hopeful that the benefits of these new technologies can come forth, uh, but there may need to be some short-term, you know, compromises um, on, on those varying uh, sensitivities. And also your, your costs are not necessarily going to go down, although, as you know, the benefit of renewable energy is the cost of certain uh, resources like solar and wind is zero. But yeah. <laughs> harnessing that, harnessing yeah. that energy and bringing it, you know, to uh, the the end user, uh, that is not going to be cheap. So uh, that's right. I mean, there is. I mean, and I think ultimately, you know, we have seen, you know, we we've seen a lot. I mean, like what is in, I'll tell you what's interesting from my perspective is I when I was when there was a lot of controversy about Grain Belt Express going on in the legislature, I saw people come in and talk about how it was going to ruin their farmland. It was going to kill their livestock. It was going to make their livestock glow in the dark. And I'm not trying to be glib about this. This is what they said. But if you go back and look at the same opponents to the Rural Electrification Act in the 1930s, Carl, they had they were saying the same thing back 80, 90 years ago about electricity being delivered to rural America. And to me, it's like it just shows like how little things have changed. Mm -hmm. We are still fighting the same fights, but it is important because I don't think anybody would disagree now. I hope most people would not disagree now that the Rural Electrification Act and bringing power to rural America, I think we can all agree that was a good idea. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, in James, it, it was a good idea, but you've probably heard some of the horror stories coming out of particularly the Tennessee Valley. Oh, you know, yeah. Yeah. Landowner rights and and individuals were or you know not respected at all and and our laws have advanced uh, the the eminent domain laws uh have become you know uh very specific in terms of the rights and the notice that needs to be given to landowners we have new technologies now that can narrow the right of way that uh, a transmission line would have um most companies really try to use existing rights of way whether it's an existing utility line or a natural gas pipeline or even an abandoned railroad to try to minimize uh, the incursions into private property. But uh, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get through this and uh, you know people will uh, accept it and, and this will be done with more respect and, and more tenderness for you know, the land and the traditions uh, that will have to be put to use simply for society to continue to advance. Yeah, I mean, I really do hope we've learned some historical lessons. Uh... But it also, I hope we don't repeat some of the same things that we were worried about then. So, Carl, this has been really great. Thank right. you again. Uh, and thank you all for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us on everywhere that you listen to podcasts. Leave a review to amplify our, uh, our reach and share on your social media sites. Uh, on behalf of Renew Missouri, I just want to thank you for listening. And we wish you a happy new year into 2024. Take care.